In the third week of May 2023, the government announced a new piece of legislation called the Rent Reform Bill, which goes through and talks about how private rental sector in England is going to change. It's the biggest piece of legislation to change the rental market since the Housing Act 1992. Today, I'm joined by Ben Beadle, who is the CEO of the National Residential Landlords Association, and he's here to talk to me about this new piece of legislation, in particularly from what it means not only for landlords, but also his point of view with regard to letting agents as well. Ben, thanks for joining me today. Great pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Ben, could you provide an overview of the Renters Reform Bill and its objectives for improving renters' rights in the private rented sector? Yeah, well, I think the Secretary of State would argue that this is about tilting the balance from landlords to tenants. I think I would argue that uh, that's already been tilted that way for uh, for many a decade. So, um, but in terms of what's out, uh, what's going to be brought in, we've seen uh, announcements around the abolition of Section 21. Uh, we've seen an announcement around reformed Section 8 grounds, i.e. the, the replacement, uh, a landlord ombudsman, a property portal, uh, the possibility for a decent home standard, uh, a real eclectic mix of things that aren't necessarily to the detriment, but there's a few nips and tucks that are needed to make sure that uh, it doesn't uh, uh, disrupt things uh, in a terrible way. Well, let's let's address the first one. Mm. Um, let's look at the issue of Section 21. Um, what alternatives are going to be provided for landlords? Uh, well, the alternative are essentially having stronger Section 8 grounds. Uh, I think our view on this, Chris, is very much that um, I think there's a, a, a school of thought that landlords issue notices like confetti. Uh, that you know, the first thing that a landlord thinks about when they wake up in the morning is evicting their tenant. Uh, and if you were to listen to the mainstream media, that's the impression that you might get. Um, you and I know better than that. Um, and so this is why making sure that the alternative to Section 21 is going to work. So we need to make sure that there are grounds for landlords reoccupying, moving back in, uh, either themselves or their family, selling the property, rent arrears, persistent or serious, uh, and antisocial behaviour. And I'm really pleased that the Secretary of State has come down on the side of landlords when it comes to those grounds. But they're only going to work if the courts are fit for purpose. Well, so that's, well you take the words out of my mouth. You know, I, at the moment, trying to get something through, on section eight you might as well be walking through treacle with big Indeed. heavy lead boots on is there anything in the legislation or any indication by the government i know you've met michael gove a number of times on whether some money time or effort's going to be done to uh, speed the process up well it's blood sweat and tears at the moment so it needs to and the assurances that the secretary of state has given uh not through the bill i'm hastened to add because it's not in there it's one of the very stark omissions um, I have received some warm words around around that, um, but I need more than warm words to be able to be supportive around these things because, you know, the quid pro quo for Section 21 going is that landlords and their agents must have confidence in what replaces it. Uh, and this is the overriding issue with the bill itself. It's not that it's not going to work. It's just that these package of things if you put with all of the other things that landlords are having to do, um, it's not a sexy place to be. Um, and it's undermining confidence if these reforms are not got right. Do you think the government realise what the private rental sector has 
done to keep it out of hot water? <laughs> or they appreciate? Well, they've been told, Chris, I can tell you. Um, you know, there's no question about this, that I think chickens are coming home to roost. We're seeing it in Wales. I know we're not talking about Wales today, but you know, there's a whole separate car crash going on uh, with Wales. And I think the point that we're at with, with England is that, you know, um, with the bill being announced, at least we know what's in there, but we, we're sort of on that level crossing and we're trying to start the engine and the train's coming. Um, we've got the opportunity between this bill now being announced and knowing what's in it to being enacted to make some changes. And it's really, really important that those changes are made before the train comes hurtling through. Now, of course, you're going to suggest all landlords um, join your organisation to gain a greater voice and an ear in government. What could letting agents do to ensure that their voices are heard? They could join too, Chris, couldn't they? They could do. <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm being slightly facetious. But although we do have letting agents uh, within membership, I think uh, you know, agents have got a big role to play around the education of their clients um, uh, and understanding the stuff that is coming. Um, working with our good friends at Property Mark to make sure that there's another voice around that table. That's hugely important because, it, you know, we, we don't want to be a lone voice there. The more people that are talking about changes to reforms, uh, the better, uh, in my view. And agents have got a huge part to play in terms of keeping up with the ever-changing nature. But it's also an opportunity for them, right? Because there'll be landlords out there that think, Christ, you know, I can't possibly handle this by myself. I need to put my mm. portfolio with you. Well, we're going to touch, touch on that later. Um, did you approach when you were speaking, I know you've been speaking with Michael Gove, but yeah. the, the almost endemic nature that councils say to tenants, stay in the house until you get evicted. Well, that's a big problem for me. It's, it's a huge problem and it's a huge problem for a lot of landlords that find themselves in that position. What's going to happen with Section 21? Uh, I think this will be the, the one of the biggest unintended consequences. The Section 21, like it or loathe it, is a very effective way of, of managing a whole range of things, right? Like antisocial behaviour. But it's also a way of a land of a of a tenant rather um, uh, being uh, evicted and still being eligible for social housing because they don't intentionally make themselves homeless. So if you go down the Section Eight route, rent arrears, antisocial behaviour, that type of thing, where you will make yourself intentionally homeless by not paying your rent or by misbehaving. So there is a real unintended consequence waiting to happen to see whether that does affect homelessness provision um, and rehousing. I mean, the straightforward answer to your question is that that has been raised with Gove and his officials. Um, to be honest, it's probably out of all of the pressing issues that we've got going on, although really, really irritating, because I've certainly been at the receiving end of that argument um, with, with one of my tenants. It, you know, realistically, it's way down the, the pecking order, but it has absolutely been raised with the top man. You talk about antisocial behaviour. Can you explain the proposed reforms, how they will strengthen landlords' powers to deal with antisocial behaviour and maintain a safe environment for other tenants? Yeah, well, um, this actually comes back to what the Prime Minister announced in one of his um, speeches a few weeks or so ago with a, a five-point plan, and one of them was around stamping out antisocial behaviour, not just in a, a housing context, but a whole sort of wide, wider society uh, context. Uh, uh, in a nutshell... It's shorter notice periods. It's processing those notice uh, those notices more quickly uh, within uh, the courts, and it's also making sure that 
local authorities have got the resources and powers that they need to get involved as well. It's also about making sure that the test isn't too high to prove. And I'm really pleased to see the Secretary of State adopt NRLA wording when it comes to the discretionary ground under Section 8, which is effectively a lower burden of proof. And it's really, really important that that happens because what we can't be in the position of is legitimising antisocial behaviour and tilting the balance so far that actually the very people you're protecting are the perpetrators rather than the victims. And Michael Gove understands that, and that's why I'm confident he will deliver on that point. Uh, ben, how will the eviction process be expedited for cases involving antisocial behaviour? And what impact do you think it will have on the private rented sector? Well, it's really interesting because we're really pleased to see that uh, not only have we got short notice periods proposed for antisocial What is proposed? Uh, between uh, zero weeks uh, and uh, four weeks, depending on the severity of the of the um, of the offence. Uh, and of course, if there's a criminal conviction involved, that's actually a mandatory ground in addition. So it, it you know, the, the, all the hallmarks are there for this to be managed. But of course, you know, it needs to go through the sausage factory quickly. And we know that the sausage factory is in a massive state of flux at the moment. Uh, my big issue actually is not about the prioritisation per se, i.e. it gets listed quickly and it gets dealt with quickly. You don't wait six months to, to get your um, uh, case out the other end. But if you prioritise something, that means deprioritising something else. And that, to me, is unacceptable. So we need to make sure that um, when government talks about digitalisation of the court service, that we're clear around what that is. We also need to make sure that that is backed by investment and more court staff and more bailiffs. Um, the select committee have called for a housing court. We're not going to get that in any short time frame, but it's really important that we make the changes now to make sure that the court service can support this new regime. Otherwise, it's going to fall flat on its face and undermine the ethos of the bill. Ben, can you provide me more details about this new ombudsman scheme and how um, it's going to help bring resolutions between landlords and tenants to a better conclusion? Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, we're a big fan of uh, an ombudsman, uh, providing it's cheap and quick. Um, what we don't want uh, is for it to be an expensive bureaucracy where people wait years and years for a decision. So uh, the principle is really, really good. But the bill itself is something called an enabling bill, really. It, it's just granting the powers for government to be able to do this. And what we will have to do is to work with government to, to shape what this is going to look like. We know there'll be a number of interested parties we've got agent redress at the moment i'm sure those schemes will all be interested but in a nutshell there will be penalties for failing to register and there will be penalties for failing to comply what we don't know is exactly what's in and what's out and what type of dispute so we might not even get this ombudsman on day one i would think that would be unlikely next let's come on to this a property portal that mm. they keep talking about and the fact that people need to register both tenants is it tenants and landlords and agents or everyone? Just landlords. Just landlords. What's all that about? Well, for me, uh, the portal is a great idea. Um, this is a way that responsible landlords can show that their properties are compliant and uh, fully compliant with the law. It's a great way of uh, an educated tenant to be able to check 
that that property is compliant. It's been billed as a way of, of sort of, you know, holding bad landlords to account, which also is applicable. I don't know a bad landlord that would go and register their property, right? So you will inevitably end up with a list of people that government probably already knows about because they already register the deposit. They already uh, use an agent, already have an EPC, that type of thing. But it's a nice way, I think, of, of bringing it all together uh, you, under one roof. Do you think there's an education piece there, both with Property Mart, yourself and other organisations to get the word out there? It's almost like a, an ab to mark that you shouldn't rent a house unless it's got the magic mark yeah and i think that's where government will be will be headed i would expect there to be fines for non-compliance and and probably not being able to advertise your property uh, until such point that it has been registered with that uh, with that service so there will be some landlords out there that feel that that is a bureaucracy too far personally i feel that actually by showing i've got a gas safety or an electrical safety or an epc or whatever well that's that's bread and butter right that's what i do already uh, so coming up with a system that allows responsible landlords to show that they're compliant to me is a bit is a bit of a no-brainer could you almost see it as a passport where you could upload all the other stuff that you've just done into almost you know and this is proves that i'm a 100 percent. in fact i've just been talking to kate faulkner uh whose uh property um passport idea is something that i think will absolutely gain legs off the back of this she only lives a few miles up the road she could does it, yeah. could, 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 i was just doing a podcast with her in the other room so i could we could have brought her here on the sofa could have that would have been good fun love kate um let's talk about the decent home standard yeah um how do you think this would impact both uh landlords and letting agents in terms of upgrades and maintenance yeah well first of all it's important to say that the social uh, housing sector has the decent home standard at the moment um four-fifths of PRS properties already comply with that standard, even though they don't need to. And interestingly, if you roll the clock back 10, 20 years, the number was much lower, wasn't Indeed, it? Indeed, absolutely right. And bear in mind, it's taken 20 years to get to this point, And it's about 83%, if my memory serves me correctly, of social housing that is compliant with that standard. So, you know, the PRS isn't a million miles away. Um, uh, and it reinforces the point to me that actually the vast majority of what's happening in the sector is overwhelmingly positive, right? Um, so I don't worry about the decent home standard because, as I say to my members, well, who sets out to provide a really crappy, damp-ridden property? Nobody. Or if you do, you shouldn't be in the sector. So the decent home standard, if we just turn it on its head a little bit and say that rather this is something uh, to inconvenience landlords, actually, for me, it's a, a standard uh, you know, to, to benchmark and exceed. And so agents will have a huge role to play in making sure that whatever the standard is, and it must be fit for purpose for the PRS, it can't just replicate the social sector where we all rip out our bathrooms every 10 years, because that's what it says. It has to be a pragmatic um, uh, standard, and the Secretary of State has given me assurances that it, that it will be. But we want high well, standards be, in well, the sector. Won't it be the current standards? Well, we, no, so we want it to be uh, similar to the decent home standard for the social sector, but not the same, because there are some arbitrary things within that standard, like ripping out your kitchen and bathrooms every 10 years, even though they might be perfectly safe and perfectly workable. So that, to me, doesn't seem like a sensible standard for the PRS. Obviously, if the kitchen or bathroom had a category one hazard, wasn't fit for purpose, sure rip it out right but you know just because it's avocado green and a little bit old uh, as long as it's safe clean and usable what's the problem and that's we want 
a bit of common sense reflected in that standard. Avocado is coming back in. Indeed, fashion, exactly right. right. Yeah. Let's talk about the provision of allowing tenants to keep pets and how that will work with insurance. Yeah, uh, so I've been asked this question so many times. All the media want to talk about is bloody pets and cats and dogs. Nothing wrong with that. Are you a cat man or a dog man? Uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent, although I do have chickens. Um, Fingers. <laughs> but not, not in the house, obviously. That would be weird. Not unless it's in the fridge. Anyway, um, uh, so I think you know, pets are a good thing, principally. Um, uh, but yeah, for me, this is an issue that the government has created entirely of its own volition. Um, landlords are not per se anti-pets. There might be a good reason why one uh, isn't accepted, right? And the, the bill sets out that that's a perfectly legitimate uh, reason to kind of refuse. So this isn't... If I had asthma or something, as a, I might want to move back in. Absolutely right. And that's perfectly reasonable. It's been billed as saying, well, landlords must have pets. Actually, it's been... It, it, the, the correct phrase is that landlords have the right to refuse a pet if they've got a decent reason for doing so <laughs> status quo right um so i'm not too worried about that um but the the issue that government has made it stems back to the um tenant fees act of 2019 where they capped deposits and made no uh, reference to the, the 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 trend that a landlord might take a little bit more if you had a bit if you had a dog or a cat or whatever mm. So by doing away with that is immediately turn landlords off pets overnight. And all they're doing is undoing the mistake they made four or five years ago. Like you said earlier, unintended consequences. Yeah, that's right. I mean, but the slightly irritating thing, Chris, is the industry told them about that. And so now this is being billed as a big concession. Not a big concession. It's just undoing a monumental balls up of three or four years ago. Do you think the government have listened a bit more this time compared to last time. Yeah, I think they have, to be fair. I mean, you know... When they've it, had three years at it. Yeah, they have, they have. I mean, to be fair to them, they've had, you know, the pandemic in, in between that's uh, preoccupied them. But um, uh, I, I do feel that uh, government has listened to the voice of landlords. I do feel that we've also been able to carve out a particular voice for a particular uh, part of the sector that has meant that, you know, we have been listen to you've got to have the right sort of arguments you've got to have the right sort of tone are we going to get everything that we want from this no uh, and i think you know you could look at the bill and think well there's you know there's some things that he's come down on the side of tenants on there's some things that he's come down the side of landlords on um that's the way of the world right <laughs> what do you think the most the biggest benefits are for landlords of this bill well i mean if you give me a blank piece of paper chris uh, and ask me what I wanted, I probably wouldn't have a lot of the things that are, that are in the bill in there, right? But we're pragmatists, you know, we recognise the direction of travel and where we are, you know, politically. Um, so any benefits are, are, I guess, against the backdrop of perhaps not wanting those things in the first place, right? So, so if you take possession grounds, well, we could have had entirely discretionary grounds. Instead, we've got nine, ten plus mandatory grounds. That, to some listeners, may may seem to be uh, uh, you know some big loss. Actually, it's quite a big win. <laughs> um, we fought quite hard for that. There are new grounds in there for uh, persistent arrears. There are new grounds in there for landlords moving back in and reoccupying the property and things like that. Well, if the government was that anti-landlord 
you know, they could have come up, come down very, very differently on those types of things. So the persistent arrears is the one where someone goes over two months and keeps hovering. Yeah, and if you, if, uh, you're testing me now, but if you if you are greater than two months in arrears three times during a three-year period, then that's a mandatory ground. Um, you'll have to check those facts on the NRLA website because it's a very, very uh, techie one. But the principle is absolutely right, that it's trying to deal with those tenants that are perhaps being slightly vexatious about their their rent payments and saying, well, that's not cricket. And I'm really pleased that the Secretary of State has come down firmly that, you know, paying rent's not an optional extra. Um, misbehaving is not acceptable. That's That's good. We want to see that because... I come back to my point at the beginning. We want to be able to manage these things. We don't want to be able. We, we don't want to just, you know, uh, issue notices. We don't want to just be able to um, uh, evict a tenant because we can. We want. You know, we have a reason. We may not have had to have give, given one in the past, but we do have a reason. And these reasons that are set out are broadly workable, providing the court system can support it. What impact do you think this proposed legislation will have on? the supply of rental properties in the English private rental sector? Either nothing or it will reduce it. Now, the number of private rental properties has been coming down since 2017. A lot of that is to do with the fact is that first-time buyers have been buying a lot of houses. I know a lot of people have, have suggested Section 24 has helped, and it hasn't helped the cause. Hasn't helped the cause. But it's still, if you look at the stats, plenty of new landlords coming in. Yeah. What responsibility do letting agents have to get the message out to say that okay, it's still, yeah, still an attractive place yeah. to be, right? Um, I, I think uh, I guess it's all relative, isn't it? If you've been in the business for twenty or thirty years. And look and look back at you know how things once were we, to how they are now. Well, it's very different. Can you remember <laughs> everyone panicked on the tenant fee ban? Yeah. Everyone panicked on well, just the three percent stamp duty. Well, I mean we're still here. Um, you know, may, perhaps the rewards aren't quite as uh, as lucrative as they as they once were, um, but it's still a decent place to invest. I think what I would say to you, Chris, is there is more that you are expected to do, right? So this isn't, you know, watch homes under the hammer and think, right, well, I'll go to the auction and Yeah, because let's be honest, <laughs> between 2000 and 2008, anyone could, you know, making money was like falling off a log. Now you actually probably could do with the, the need of a letting agent to go and support you on the best type of property. Do you not think? I, I absolutely agree. I think this is about doing your homework. It's about doing your homework in terms of tax. It's about doing your homework in terms of location. It's about doing your homework in terms of the demographic that you're going after. An agent's got a huge role uh, to play in, in providing, you know, solid advice for for those types of, of decisions. Um, did I read correctly that, uh, not from day one when it gets made law, but all tenancies are going to change where it's almost an open-ended tenancy. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So that is one of the, the, the big changes. I probably should have mentioned that. Um, uh, so the fixed-term tenancy is abolished uh, and things become periodic. Now, uh, that will have a big, big uh, impact on the sector. Um, it will have a very big impact on the student sector that relies on it being a very cyclical summer-to-summer 
uh, kind of type tenancy, and we're lobbying very, very hard for change in that regard. Because at the moment, the, the proposed legislation doesn't allow for student lettings, which is not fair when you consider that the institutional landlords, you know, the universities have that, but the private landlords, I, I do hope that that changes. So, so, so do I. Uh, we've been lobbying uh, Michael Go very, very hard on this point because you know, you can't have your cake and eat it. Either it's good for the goose or it's good for the gander, right? And actually what we've got at the moment is, you know, all the big boys over here with the fixed terms and able to, to you know, uh, to effectively give a, a no-fault repossession notice. And then over here, the small landlord, um, you know, has has no chance in, in terms of comparing how the framework will work. And if you think about it from a tenant's perspective, you move out of halls into the PRS, well, you just, you just don't know if your property is going to be available if you can't rely on that cyclical mm. nature continuing. And it's a classic example, I think, of a government recognising that they need to do something because they've left PBSA alone. Um, uh, and, and kind of secondly, it's, it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't yet exist. You know, out of all of the issues, I understand why you might move to a periodic tenancy more generally. I understand that that's possibly the easiest way to kind of to move things along from the point of view of Section 21. I do get that. Um, but the student market is so niche and so valuable. We're already seeing a crisis of confidence uh, uh, last summer where people are having to like commute from Manchester to Liverpool because the homes aren't available. And this is a highly regulated market where you need licenses, you need to have the bells and whistles of high standards, and people have made that investment. Um, if they haven't got the certainty, be it landlord or renters, that property is going to be available, it will decimate that sector. And that's why we're pushing go very, very hard on this point. We're also pushing very hard um, in relation to the periodic tenancy for a moratorium period during which tenants can't give notice during the first six months. And we're doing this because we don't want it to be uh, an Airbnb equivalent. I think we run the risk of creating an Airbnb sector if we don't get this right. And so we don't want to see people move in on day one and give their notice on day one and move out two days later uh, sorry two months two months later um so this needs to be protected and it's for that reason that we're lobbying very very hard and will that get sorted out at select committee station so we think that there will be uh, plenty of time for sort of concessions and government uh, to table amendments and all of that sort of stuff and that work is already underway and is there anything letting agents watching this can do to ensure that they're they're MP is made aware of this to ensure that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet. Well, we've got a critical time now. Now that the plaster has been ripped off and we've seen, you know, what the colour of the white paper is, it's now a bill. Actually, it's incumbent on letting agents to get in touch with their MP and um, tell them what's going to work and what's not going to work. The, the, the one thing that tenant groups do really, really well is mobilise. You know, you hear where they're not happy, right? Um, and uh, letting agents and landlords must do the same. You can do it through PropertyMark. You can get the templates from the NRLA uh, website. Um, there's a whole guide on there about stuff that you might want to say or do, but get involved. There's no point, you know, waiting six months or a year for it to become an act and then lament all of the changes. And that moan like hell. Uh, that's right, yeah, do something about it. There's a prime opportunity. We may not get anywhere, but it's worth a go. And I'd encourage everybody to get involved. 
Do you think this will drive more self-managed landlords into the arms of letting agents? Very possibly, yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity for agents. It's like any regulation. You know, people look at it and they get scared. I mean, last week, so we typically have about 2,200 calls to our advice line. 3,000 calls last week we got, primarily because of rental reform. Landlords are scared about it. They, you know, I don't think there's too much to be scared of. I'd like to see some changes, I've said to you, Chris, but... Um, I think this is all about your propensity to be able to deal with change and to be able to manage what's in front of you. But, you know, landlords value their time and there will be people out there that say, do you know what? I just don't want to get it wrong. It's like when tenancy deposits come in and, and other things come in. It makes people think about their, their investment. It makes people think about how they carry it out and whether mm. they've got the time or the uh, ability or desire to, to want to deal with the associated nonsense that they're now having to deal with. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity for agents to uh, convert those people uh, at the right price. Um, what do you think the rental reform bill will do to rents? Increase them. But they've already gone up double digits. Well, but the, the, the thing is, and you asked me this question about what impact you know it would have on supply, right? Um, there's nothing in the bill per se, that's going to increase the supply of homes. This is about regulating what we have because it's perceived that a minority of landlords are doing awful things and government wants to stop it. And in stopping it, they're treating everybody the same. And that's, you know, the ir irritating nature of, of regulation. The point that we are making is, yes, we want to see changes to it. and We'll work very, very hard to, to, to make those changes. But the reality is, if something is difficult, if you're also being taxed, if you've also got the threat of energy changes... Well, I was no going to bring on to that. What, how do you think the new energy changes between 25 and 28 are going to... It, it, it comes into the same spectrum, right? It, it affects confidence. Do we see investors flooding into the market to buy new homes to rent out? No, we don't, because we see... Yes, we see some, obviously, but we don't see them to the scale that we have seen. Lots of debate about whether landlords are exiting the sector uh, at, at the moment. But what we know and what we can be certain of is we have a supply and demand imbalance. Forget the landlord for the moment. Every agent is telling me I've got no stock. Every landlord is telling me when their property goes back on the market, they're getting 30, 40 applications. So we have something majorly wrong in the sector. And so it would be reasonable to conclude, I think, that landlords are certainly thinking about their options because, not just because of rental reform, but as a package of things. Almost um, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And that will, but that will vary from, from individual to individual. Okay. For some, it will be Section 24 tax changes. Uh, for some, it will be the cost of upgrading energy. For some, it will be, you know, the rhetoric and uh, landlord bashing that, that, that we have seen. It will be horses for courses and people will have different reasons for exiting the sector. The overriding point that I'm making is that the reform bill, whilst it will regulate the sector and, that, you know, there's nothing in it that is massively draconian, in my view, other than requiring a different way of thinking and operating, if you're not left with a sense of confidence, that's bad news for everybody. And this is why I say that things like Section 21 and, and other things may end up being a very hollow victory for our friends, the renters, uh, because actually you can regulate as much as you want. But if the homes aren't there at the end of it, 
well, where do people live? They end up paying more. You end up with more people in temporary accommodation. We need to see pro-growth measures. I understand that landlords have got a bad rap, um, but that's the minority. And this bill will give um, tenants far more power than they have ever had to bring bad landlords to book. If we're not building social homes, if we're not having build to rent uh, pick up the slack, if we're turning generation or trying to turn generation rent into generation buy, we need to back the private rented sector and we need pro-growth measures that encourage that. So we need to reverse tax changes like Section 24 so that landlords don't pay tax on their uh, revenue, they pay it on their profit. And we need to see barriers like the additional rate stamp duty removed so that it at least encourages people to uh, come into the sector and bring the homes that we desperately need. We also need to encourage building of new homes as well, because at the moment we're shuffling the same pack of cards and lots of arguments about 300,000 targets. Whatever the target is, it's irrelevant. We don't have enough homes to go around and people are paying more. And so that's why I say that renters reform, whilst a big victory for tenant groups, may in the long run prove to be a very, very hollow victory. Thank you for your time today, Ben.